Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Let's pray. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to speak to us this evening. Every time we open up your word, we know it's an opportunity to hear from you. And so because of that, Lord, we want to be mindful, not of the things of this world, but we want to be mindful of the things that you tell us in your love letter to us, the Holy Bible. So we pray, Lord, that we approach your scriptures tonight with reverence, that we approach it as it is. It's holy. It's not common. It's not like any other book in the world. So we pray, Lord, that you speak to us as if it was your own voice here this evening. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit in advance for what he's going to do. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So in review, last week we learned not to be careless, but to be carefree. That's what God wants out of every one of us. It's do not be anxious for anything, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request made known to God in the peace of God, which is past all our will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what we learn. So Jesus isn't saying like, you know, just stop worrying. Just don't worry anymore. He's saying take action when you have worries. Do something about it. So let your care be cast in prayer. Because eventually what's going to happen is you're going to have care and it's going to bubble out. Eventually you're going to spill it onto someone and you're gonna, they're going to get tired of you nagging them all the time. You have to do something with your care. And not being careless, just tossing it wherever, but you're taking your care and you're casting it in the right place upon the shoulders that are broad enough to carry your care, which is God. So God asks for us to cast our care upon him, to, to cast our burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. That's, that's uh, Psalm 55, 22. It says all throughout the Bible, cast your care upon the Lord for he cares for you, etc. We got that down. Awesome. Another thing we learned is that your heart will only be as heavy as the burdens you choose to carry. And that's what we have up here. We have a heart, and it has all kinds of burdens. Because the Bible says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. And we learned the King James Version of the Bible says, anxiety makes the heart stoop, makes it sag. And that's how you feel when you have worries. So we have all kinds of worries up here. We have worries about your future, whether it's college, it's a career. You have family situations. Oh, man, my parents have been fighting. It's just anxiety. You have worries. You don't know what's going to happen. Are my parents getting divorced? I don't, know what's, I don't know what's happening anymore. You have gossip. You're worried about what people are thinking about you and what they're saying about you. Schoolwork. You have to worry about that too. Like you have to care about your grades. You can't just pretend like they don't exist anymore and you don't have schoolwork anymore. You have to care about relationships. It's not just, you know, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. You have to care about the friendships that you have with one, one another. And then on top of all this, you could get sick. You're, someone in your family could get sick. And so it just makes your heart sag, sag, sag more and more until you can't take it anymore because your heart is just drooping with all the cares of the world. And so it's hard to hide that, right? It's hard to hide a drooping heart. People can sense it in you. People can see it in you. It sees it all over your, it says that all over your face. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here you go. 
So you're going to be talking about your worries, your anxieties, and casting it somewhere, be it your friends, your family, or hopefully you would cast it upon the Lord. So what we learned last week is that we have to cast our care upon God. He says, you don't have to hold on to this because a good word makes it glad. What better word than the gospel, the good news that you don't have to carry your burdens. Christ can carry them for you. And so if you preach the gospel to yourself, I don't have to worry about my future because he holds the future in his hands. I have to worry about sickness because he is the great physician, so on and so forth. Then your heart is back in the right place because you've casted your care upon the Lord. You've allowed God to transform the way you think, so it's no longer about what you can do. It's about what Christ can do through you. However, here's the problem. It's easy to say, yeah, yeah, just cast it upon the Lord. But what do you do when they're chained? You can't let go. I want to give up my future to God. I want to give up, you know, the family situation. I want to give up the gossip and, like, what people think about me. But whenever I try to let it go, it just seems like it's chained to my heart. And you feel the need to hold on to these things. You can't just forget about it. If I told you, don't think about pink elephants, what are you thinking about? Pink elephants. Hey, everyone here, try it right now. Don't think about a pink elephant. You th you're thinking about a pink elephant. Because when you tell someone, don't think about something, don't do something, it's very hard to not do that one thing. Another example would be trust falls. Right? If I told you that you're going to come up here and we're going to do a trust fall, some of you might trust me, but if I told you that Benji was going to catch you, <laughs> just kidding, uh, you might not trust him. And that's nothing against Benji. I'm just saying. Why is that? Because you have to have a good relationship with a person in order to trust them. Now listen, if it's Benji and, and you got uh, one of Benji's best friends and he's up here too, it's more likely that he's going to trust him because he can let that thing go because he knows the person who he's trusting to catch him is going to be faithful and not drop him, or at least hopefully. If you're going to the dentist, you're getting your wisdom teeth taken out or whatever, it's the worst experience ever because people say, oh, it'll be fine. And then you look on the news and you look on the internet and you see all the horror stories about like people getting anesthesia and like feeling everything while you're you know, asleep, and you can't stop it because your body's immobilized. These are all the fears that go through your mind. And although people can tell you, don't think about it, it's fine, you'll be fine, you can't help but think about it unless you trust the person that you're giving the care and the concern to. And this is why tonight's lesson is so important. We're not saying be mindless, don't think about stuff. Instead, being mindful of God will guard your mind from anxiety. That's why our hashtag for this series is Attack Anxiety. Because some of us have uh, anxiety attacks, and what you want to do is not just pretend it doesn't happen. Instead, you want to combat anxiety when it occurs. You want to be a person who says, you know what, even though I'm finding it hard to give up these worries, to give up these concerns and whatever, I'm going to preach to myself the good news. I'm going to tell myself about Jesus and what he's capable of doing so that I can surrender all to the Lord. The Bible says in uh, Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. If your mind is completely captivated by Christ, nothing in this world can captivate 
your thoughts. Because Christ is in control. I love Chick-fil-A. I love it. How many of you love Chick-fil-A? Some of you work there, so you have to love it. I love Chick-fil-A. I love their, their Chick-fil-A sauce. I go there whenever I can. What's the worst thing about Chick-fil-A? It's closed on Sundays. That's the worst thing. It's not like how bad it is for you. It's not how like whatever. It's the fact that it's closed on Sundays. At least to me. I think that's the worst thing. Now, how many of you, we've all done it if you love Chick-fil-A. You've gone to Chick-fil-A in high hopes, expecting your stomach to be filled, that desire to be quenched or whatever. You know, you're like, you're excited. But then you go and you forget it's a Sunday. You drive all the way to the mall. I know Dave did this the other day too, so that's why I'm saying it. You drive to the mall. You're excited. And then you remember, no, it's Sunday. I can't have Chick-fil-A. How could you have avoided all that grief? Well, you needed to remember that they were closed on Sundays. And this is what I'm saying for this series and for this evening is that if we are mindful of God, then that will guard our mind from anxiety. It will prevent you from going through all kinds of grief because how many worries stagger off or, or roll into more and more worries that we didn't even have to go through if we just realized that God was in control? We just work ourselves into such depression, into such, such uh, a sorrowful state, all because of things that might not even happen. So in regards to anxiety, it's very important to be aware of what we're thinking because that will be the root of our worry. It's what goes on in your mind. What are you thinking about? Because what you're thinking about will follow through into your actions. So here's the question. Do you think what you think you think? Because if you think you think is, I'm, I'm not even going there. Okay. Here's the first point you need to know. It's not being mindless, but being mindful. And that's what Paul says in Philippians. Remember, he's in jail. He's in prison. And he's having a great time. He's chained to a prisoner. And he's preaching the gospel. And he's like, it's great. God has opened the door while I'm in prison. And although I'm, I'm not, I can't leave, that's fine. Because I get to preach to the whole like, prison. It's awesome. He's excited, and he has every right to be depressed, to be down, and to be worried. He could have been beheaded at any point. He could have been tortured or whatever. He didn't care because he saw his, his uh, lack as an opportunity. He saw the, the place that he was put in is the place that God has placed him to preach the gospel. So he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's very important that we make a distinction right now between good meditation and bad meditation. Because many of us growing up, we kind of just think that meditation is, is something like you see on, you know, cartoons or you've seen in movies or you're just going, um, and you know, you're, whether you're Buddhist or Hindu or whatever, that type of meditation is emptying your mind. Just don't think about it. Just com have complete peace by not thinking about anything. Don't even think about yourself. Buddhism teaches there is no self, which is weird because how, who's the person saying there's no self if you say that there's no self? You have to be a self in order to claim that there is no self. Anyway, I'm not talking philosophy tonight because I know I'll lose you. Good meditation is not the absence of thought. It's meditating on good things. It's thinking your mind full of things of God. And that's why it's so important that we make this distinction. Because some of us, like you sit down to pray, 
and you're just like, you're just ADD, you're thinking about so many different things, and you can't even concentrate on the fact that you're praying because you haven't filled your mind with the things of God. If you fill your mind with the things of God, it's going to leak out in your actions. It's going to leak out in the way that you even speak. And so that's why when we have anxiety, we, ha we have worries, we have the cares of this life, it's not just pretend like they don't happen. Like some of us think, like, if only I got away, if only I went on vacation, if only I didn't have to go to school, then I'd be okay. Being away from my problems. But that isn't true peace. That means you only have peace when absolutely nothing bad is happening to you. But the true peace that the Bible gives to us, that Jesus preaches to us, is that no matter what your circumstances are around you, you can not be moved. You can have complete peace even in the worst of circumstances. You can be Jesus sleeping on a boat, as we learned last week in Mark chapter 4. Sleeping on a boat in the worst of storms, and he's woken up, not by the waves, not by the thunder, not by the lightning, by his disciples nagging him. Wake up, we're going to die. No, we're not. I'm sleeping. Leave me alone. You can have perfect peace even in the worst of circumstances. Psalm 94, verse 18 through 19 says, If I say, my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me. And maybe that's how it feels. Multitude. A lot of anxieties within me. Your comforts delight my soul. You see, when you have the thoughts of God surrounding your heart, guarding your heart, it doesn't matter what multitude of anxieties you have within you. The thoughts that God thinks towards you, the truth about God is greater than any thought that you can have of this world that's trying to invade that peace. It's kind of like the prophet Elisha when he was with his friend and, and they, were, um, they were surrounded by the Syrian army. And they came in and they were knocking and they were going to like totally wipe them out. And then his friend's like, oh, man, we're going to die. How, what are we going to even do? Elisha says, you know what? Lord, I pray you open up his eyes so that he would see. And then he saw chariots of fire all around them. And then so everyone was stricken with blindness. He's like, oh, I think you got the wrong place. Let me lead you to the right place. And he just completely traps them. And it's a, it's a great story. You should look it up. 2 Kings chapter 6. But what we see here is that God, if God is for you, who can be against you? Not even thoughts, evil thoughts, or even demons or powers of hell can separate you from the love of God. So that's why it's important to fill your mind with things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, praiseworthy, all these things. That's what we are to focus on. Not forgetting about stuff, but meditating on the things that God has for you. And here's the thing. It's impossible to think about something that you don't know about. Is it possible to think about something that you don't know about? For instance, I'm not really a sports guy. I like rock climbing. If I talked rock climbing stats to you, most of you would have no idea what I'm talking about. And you can't share my joy either. I'm like, oh, man, it's great. Daniel Woods is climbing this V15. And it was awesome because he was on this crib and then he climbed in and just did this dyno. And I'm, I'm speaking this different language. You can't be excited. You can't be worried if I tell you that I'm going free soloing tomorrow. And you wouldn't know what I'm saying. And in the same way, if you're telling me basketball stats, you're telling me football statistics or whatever, I have no idea what you're talking about, most of the time at least. So I can't rejoice. I, I'm not able to think about what you're saying to me because I don't even understand what you're saying. So here's the thing. Do you actually know of anything praiseworthy? You can't think about things that are true, noble, just, pure, etc. if you don't even know anything that is true, 
noble, just, praiseworthy. Do you know anything praiseworthy? Can you say there's something in your life that I can rejoice about? Is there anything you can say, Lord, thank you so much for this thing? Think about it for a second. Take, take two seconds. What is it that you could praise God about right now? You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Just think about it. Like, what's one thing that you would just be jumping for joy? Because you have that. Because God did that for you. He answered that prayer. Awesome. Can you think of one thing? Well, I would say this to you. If you're finding it hard, I would say probably the majority of people here would find it very hard to rejoice over one thing. And that's not like, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything. I just think that's a tactic of Satan. He wants us to focus on all the bad things so that we don't rejoice when things go good. If today is a good day, it's not because today is a special day. It's because God is especially good. It's because God is pouring out his grace on us day by day in the small things and in the big things. Now, when we're thinking of something praiseworthy and we're talking to a small group and say, what can you thank God for? We're thinking like healing. We're thinking like miracle happened. I was praying for seven years and I fasted for eight years, eight of those seven years somehow. It's impossible, but with God being outside of time, it just works out. You know, you're just thinking whatever. You're thinking big deals, right? But God is merciful in the littlest of things, and we don't even pay attention to those little things and rejoice. Like, Lord, thank you I can breathe today. Thank you that my cat's still alive. I don't really like cats, but my mom likes cats, so I like cats too now. Yes. We don't rejoice in the little things because we forget that those things come from God. Psalm chapter 18 says, He delivers me from my enemies, therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Psalm 59, To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. Psalm 63, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. It is so important to just take a second to really think, really meditate on God's works. Now, what does that word meditate mean? Great question. I'm glad that you asked. I'm glad everyone's on the same page tonight and you all asked me that question. Meditate. Here's what it means in the Greek. It means to calculate, probably what you're thinking, like just really think really hard. But in Hebrew, oh man, we're like in a different language, I guess. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> we're in a different language. And in the Hebrew, when it talks about, I delight in your law, and in it I meditate day and night, Psalm chapter 1. That word meditate is something really interesting. It means this, literally, to moan, to growl, as a lion does over its prey. So I thought about it. I was like, yes, that makes sense. I delight in your law as a lion growls over its prey. It, yeah, it sounds really strange. So I was thinking, what in the world does this possibly mean? And how do I apply this to my life? Maybe it's like, how do you even get the word meditate out of that? You're just growling. You're going like, the law of the Lord. You're just growling and moaning and murmuring and whatever. That doesn't sound like meditation to me. Well, I asked my local scholar, Pastor Lloyd, <laughs> what, he, what, what this author was talking about when he wrote that word, meditate. And this is what we found. Actually, if you remember, they didn't have paper in those days. They didn't have any apps. They didn't have any planners. So what did they have to do? They had to orally remind themselves of the goodness of God. 
When they heard it in the temple, they had to repeat it to themselves so they would remember. So, it would often sound like if someone's so obsessed with the law, they're just repeating it to themselves everywhere they go. So it's almost like they're grounding their memory and just always talking about, like, I want to remember the law of the Lord. Your word I have hidden in my heart. I might not sin against you. I don't want to sin. I don't want to and you're just growling. You're just murmuring. You're moaning. You're chewing it over in your mind, repeating it so many times that you remember it. That's what the Psalms are. Psalms are songs of the Old Testament. So you would sing these things so you remind yourself of the goodness of God. That is why it is so important to sing a new song unto the Lord. So that you're always reminding yourself of God's goodness and you can take that wherever you go. I know that uh, one of my friends, I remember like years ago, I was in his car and I saw a notepad right on his dashboard. It was a Bible verse. And he said, I'm trying to remember, uh, I'm trying to memorize some verses. And so I just put it on the dashboard of my car so that every tra traffic light I can recite it over. He was intentional about remembering the word of God. It's so important to just everywhere you go, remind yourself of God's goodness. If you can think of one thing, you think of one thing you can thank God for, remind yourself of that one thing. That's why I'm so like emphasizing for 2015, nail down your life vision to one verse. What is that one verse that God wants you to remember for 2015? For 2014, my verse was, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I would finish my race with joy in the ministry which, which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 20, 24. It's now like the theme of my life verse. But that was my life verse. So every time I had a situation that I could have complained, every time that I was just really stressing out, none of these things move me. Oh, wait, I moved. I feel terrible right now. But I remind myself. The goodness of God. If Paul could do it, I could probably do it too. Because it's the same God who works, works in all and through us all. So what is your life verse? I would challenge you to just write it down. Remind yourself before you leave today, nail down your life verse for 2015. I'm going to hand out some flyers before we leave. I uh, handed them out a couple weeks ago that, had, that says pray for uh, 3,000 students, 3,000 teens in 2015 to hear the gospel in the Oldbridge High School, etc. But... Uh, Underneath that, it's going to have a life verse that you can write down for yourself. I look at it every single day. It's important to attack anxiety, to be on the forefront of the battle and not just in the reserves. To remind ourselves of these songs and these words. Like even today, what we sang, if I have you, I have everything. But without you, I have nothing. You just say that one thing. You just sing that. If I have you, I have everything. You're just singing throughout the day. You're reminding yourself of God's goodness. Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. You don't have to worry about sin. You don't have to worry about death. Because God, when he died on that cross, has rendered them defeated. So when Satan's shouting at you and he's saying like, oh, man, you're what those people said about you. How ugly you are. Like, I don't even know if you guys, like, I'm sure that terrible things happen in this youth group. But, like, there's nothing worse than overhearing gossip about yourself. Like, dude, what is he wearing? Like, what, what's wrong with him? Can you believe what he said? This is the worst thing. And that can really get at you. The voice that you hear in the world, and he who is in the world, Satan, you know, the prince of the power of the air, that can really do some damage. But that's why you have to shout louder than Satan shouts at you. And you have to combat it with the words that God has spoken to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
Can you say that with me when I say bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Ready? Here we go. Bringing every thought into captivity uh, to the obedience of Christ. I don't even know. You guys know it. It's great. It's important we do that. Why? Because here's our second point for the, for the evening. We have to hold every thought captive or else you will be held captive by your thoughts. Hi. How are you doing? Ask me later. You will be, <laughs> hold every thought captive or else you'll be held captive by your thoughts. I remember when I was little, I didn't watch scary movies often. But there was one scary movie I did watch. Beethoven. <laughs> yes, the movie about the dog. I know you're laughing at my life, but I'm dead serious when I say. There was one scene, you guys know that movie? 1992, a little before your time. About the dog. They had like all these different sequels, I guess. There's one scene in the original Beethoven where Beethoven's watching a horror movie. And there's a werewolf in this like three second scene that's wandering through the forest. To this day, I still remember it, watching it in 92. Like, I, that freaked me out for life. To this day, I'm still afraid of werewolves. I remember just walking in, in the public library and seeing like, uh, remember Goosebumps? The covers. I have to read the book. I got scared by the covers. <laughs> and so I would see the covers of these things, and one of them was like this guy like washing his hands in a sink, and he turned into a werewolf. And so every time I washed my hands, I'd like look in the mirror like, oh, no, what's going to happen? So I was just a little kid. I was scared. Here's the point. What you feed into your mind will play out in reality. So what are you feeding your mind? Are you watching junk are you listening to junk? Because if you do, that's going to play out in your thoughts. You may say, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't matter what I listen to. It doesn't matter what I watch or whatever. But if that was true, no one would advertise anything. Do you realize, if it doesn't affect you, why in the world are, why is everyone paying so much money for advertisements? You can't watch a YouTube video without an advertisement being thrown at you that's tailored to exactly what you enjoy or listen to or whatever. It's because if it's put in front of you, you're going to think about it. You know, that's more like it, that's more like it. Colds. All these different slogans are developed so that you would think when you have it your way, it's Burger King. You're thinking of all these things and they want to plant those seeds in your thoughts. And much of our anxiety boils down to the lies that we buy into. Much of our anxiety is just caused by the lies that we buy into. So whether it's a fear of inadequacy, you don't feel like you're inadequate, you don't feel like you're attractive, you don't think that you're good enough. And now, because you bought into that lie, that's all you're going to be thinking about. Or maybe a fear of abandonment. You're, you're afraid that your friends are going to leave you, that everyone's going to betray you. And because of that, you just keep thinking about it and thinking about it. And those thoughts captivate your mind. Maybe it's a fear of death or even a fear of going to hell. And no matter how many times you pray the prayer, you just have this feeling that God doesn't love you and that you're going to hell. You know, that's, that's really, in essence, what Satan tries to do all the time. It's the, it's the great lie when he says, did God really say? Did God really say? And he wants to captivate your thoughts. He wants you to be held captive by your thinking. Did God really say? Will God really show up in your life? You say that God will show up, but it doesn't feel that way. You ever have a panic attack? It does not feel that way. 
when you're having a panic attack. When everything around you is crumbling, it does not feel like God is about to show up and save you. It feels like you're going to die. Will God really show up? Joshua, when he was commanded to march around Jericho seven times, eventually around six times, he's like, okay, will God really show up? Because I'm about to be really embarrassed, and I'm probably going to die if God does not show up. Will God forgive me? Maybe that's a lie that you've bought into, that, that God won't forgive you. You forget about the parable of the prodigal son. Is Jesus really enough? All these lies Satan tries to throw into our minds so that we're captivated. But what are you feeding your mind? What's going in your mind? Because sometimes those thoughts and those lies are perpetrated by, yes, the media. I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the hit songs in today, for today, has the lyric, the only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. You know, mocking the church and mocking what religion is. All these different things are subtle seeds that are planted in your mind so that when you least expect it, you're going to think, if this many people believe it, maybe it is true. If this many people think that a heaven-like experience is having sex before marriage, then I'm going to buy into that lie. See, if that many people are going down the wrong road, sometimes you believe that maybe it works. It's the same thing with advertising. You buy things because your favorite celebrity does. We all know that, like, if Taylor Swift is going to Target, I'm going to Target too. Not me, like you. You would go there. When we watch movies that idolize relationships, and you watch, yes, The Notebook, and if only every guy loved me, like, what? I didn't watch it, so I don't know. I don't even know what happens in this movie. I'm sure it's bad. All romance movies are bad. I listened to some, to, to some of those, the most emo, depressing music when I was 15, and it transformed the way that I thought. I just believed that if I was just going to buy a girl flowers, she would just fall in love with me. It did not happen that way. Let me tell you right, let me tell you right now. You bring flowers into church, you're just going to be embarrassed. <laughs> So instead of believing what the world tells you and feeding your mind with evil thoughts, you have to take every thought captive and bring it, what? To the knowledge of Christ, to the obedience to Christ. And so ask yourself, not whatever is true, whatever is noble, as if it's like whatever, like true whatever. Like, oh yeah, that's so noble. It's so noble what I saw in that movie. It's, oh yeah, that's so lovely. I'm going to think about those things. No, it's not whatever. It's, does it conform to Christ? And if it conforms to Christ, then yes, think on those things. But don't fill your mind with junk, because junk's going to come out, and you're going to be thinking about junk. Have you ever felt really sick, and you're like, I need to, I need to take emergency action right now. I'm going to go on WebMD. <laughs> you go on WebMD, and you feel worse. Like, you're like, I felt pretty good, but now I think I, I have cancer. I think I... I think everything's wrong. I think I'm dying, actually. A side effect of this is, th is death. So I'm going to die. That's what happens. And when that happens, you can know that you have been held captive by your thoughts. That's the power of our thinking. So we got to be very careful that we go to the great physician and get his prescription. We're not going to WebMD. We're not going to the world. We're going to Jesus because he has the cure. Now listen, I'm not against medicine. Some people ask me, like, oh, well, I think I'm depressed. I think I need medicine. I'm like, listen, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to tell you what, what you should do. But let me tell you this. If your problem is with your thinking, 
And if your problem is not a physical problem, but it's a spiritual problem, then no amount of medicine is going to be able to cure that. You have to go to the root of your worry, and that means that you have to go to Jesus first before you go to any doctor or anything else. Not saying doctors are needed. Like, listen, if your leg is broken, go to the doctor. But if your spirit's broken, go to Jesus. So how do we battle? Practically, turn to Psalm chapter 77. Psalm chapter 77. This is how we're going to learn very practically. Because you're probably going to read this psalm and be like, man, this sounds exactly like me. Well, great. We're going to learn how to battle the lies that are spoken to us. And then we're going to close. Psalm chapter 77, starting in verse 1. We're going to read this whole psalm. Don't lose track because you're probably falling asleep at this point. So wake up. If, if your friend is sleeping right now, nudge them and say, this is the good part. The good part. There's like one person who talks. Great. Psalm chapter 77, verse 1 says, I cried out to God with my silence. No, he says my voice to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. Obviously, this guy's very, very distraught. He says, my soul refused to be comforted. You ever, like, your friends are like, oh, no, it's okay. And you're just like, leave me alone. Like, let me just cry. Can I just cry? Like, no, it's going to get better. And you're just trying to encourage you, like, shut up. Let me cry. My soul refused to be comforted. I remember God and was troubled. I remember God and was troubled, really. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my eyelids open. Like, I'm trying to close it, like, like, look around. And sometimes that's what happens. It's like, God, I just don't want to think about anything. It's like, no, really, look at the situation. It's pretty bad. What you're going through, it's terrible, actually. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. Here's a guy, very honest. I'm glad this, this chapter is in the Bible because it speaks honestly of a person who obviously does not want to think about anything, doesn't even want to think about God. But it says in verse 6, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. Every one of us needs a song. Y'all need a life verse. Y'all need something that you can recite to yourself saying, this is my song. This is the thing that's going to bring, bring me back to Jesus. It says in verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his, temper, his tender mercies? Really? These are all rhetorical questions. The answer is obviously no. And I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate. There's that word again. Raga. Growl. I will growl as a lion does over its prey on all your work. And talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have... With your arm, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, O God. The water saw you, they were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. 
The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What happened? Here was a song. Here was a psalm that started off in deep depression and ended with praise. Here's three things that you need to remember next time that you're anxious. Number one, speak your heart. Just talk to God and be like, listen, this is exactly how I'm feeling. Don't hold anything back. This guy didn't, obviously. He says, I don't even want to, I remember God and was troubled. I don't even want to think about anything. Be honest. Say, God, I don't, honestly, I don't even want to pray right now. Speak your heart. Secondly, selah. Say that with me. Selah. Selah stoltzfis. No. <laughs> selah means pause. Meditate. It's actually a break, a refrain in a song. And that's why it's all over the Psalms. Whenever you see selah, that means pause, meditate, think about it. And so since our life is a song that God has created, we are to take a pause and think about God. Direct it all back towards God. And when we're singing songs, in between songs, we have transitions in a, in a worship set. That is our time to think about what was just saying, what was just said. Think about what God has done in our lives. We all have to pause, meditate, say la. Thirdly, sing your song. So speak your heart, say la, sing your song. That should be our pattern for life. Okay, so we're growling this. We're uh, moaning this. We're murmuring this. Everywhere we go, Lord, I, I don't know how I feel anymore. I think I'm anxious. I don't know. But you know what? You're God. You know what? You're in control. You made the heavens. You made the earth. And so that's why, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to stink and sing this, this song. And so you sing your song. What is your song? I don't know what your song is. Maybe your song is, How Great Is Our God? Sing with me, How Great Is Our God? You find that hard to sing, but that's your song. Maybe it's, As a deer pants for the waters, so my soul pants for you. Find your song, sing your song. Get your mind focused on God's goodness so that you can end with rejoicing. Because God wants you to open your mouth as hard as it is for you to find the words to praise God. He says, open your mouth and I will fill it. You just got to be obedient. Psalm chapter 81 verse 10 says, open your mouth and I will fill it. You don't even have the words to speak, but God wants to pour out his blessings on you. But you have to, once again, you have to be willing to release control. You have to give up those burdens. Cast your care upon the Lord. You don't even have the strength. God will give you the strength to worship him even in the hardest of times. Now, you can't battle lies unless you know the truth. That's why the third and last point is that the word is the key to peace. It's not, you can't just like have all these mantras like meditate and whatever. And don't let your thoughts be captivated by the world. But lastly, it has to be the right doctrine. It has to be the word. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32 says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth will make you free. Listen, if you're living in God's word, it's going to set you free of whatever bondage you're feeling in your life. Whatever's burdening your heart, whatever's making you stoop, like we learned in the King James Version, whatever is making you heavy, you have to remember it's the Word of God that makes us free. And actually, if you look at Philippians chapter 
4, verse 8, when it says, think on whatever thing is true, noble, it's actually not saying, like, go through these separate things, like, really need to think about just, really need to think about pure. It's saying that the Bible is just, the Bible is pure, the Bible is righteous, and the Bible is praiseworthy. All these things are about the Bible, about God's Word, and that's why we have to meditate on it. The Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, it says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. So be mindful of, of Jesus' second coming. You're reminded of all these things as you go through the scriptures. So listen, if you get anything out of today's message, be mindful of his word. That's it. You don't have to think about all these separate little things like, you know, start thinking about true, just, whatever. Think about the Bible. Think about God's word, and you'll be fine. So I probably just, I, I could have said that and not have to preach this entire message. But now you, now you know. That's why it's important that we're reading every single day. We're reminding each other. Like, our speech should always be flavored with the scriptures. We're just always talking about things that get, get us excited about God about Jesus, about the gospel. You find it awkward to talk about those things, that's okay. That means that you're starting in the right direction. It's going to be awkward at first, but you're saying, you know what, I, I want to make a habit of talking about God to uplift someone's spirit. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. I'm going to preach to someone's heart, so someone's heart is uplifted. I get excited because God used me, and we can go change the world for Jesus. Awesome. So be mindful of that, coming to church, learning about the Word of God. Say, well, like, I guess I could go to the mall. I guess I could go do dumb things on Friday night, which won't last for eternity. Sure, I could do those things, but why not start today? Why not live as if Jesus was coming back tomorrow because you don't know the day or the hour that he's returning? Why not listen to, to uplifting music? Why not fill my mind with good things because I know that it's always going to produce fruit? Here's the last thing that I'm going to say. There's another story in the Bible uh, where Elisha is kind of just doing these miracles, raising the dead, healing people, awesome, great, cool. But it also has this one little account where it talks about floating axe head. Y'all know the story. This always, like, confused me. It's like there's this section of the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, that talks about how Elisha's walking around and this, and this guy, like, was chopping down something, and then the axe head just popped off and falls into a river, falls to the bottom of the ocean. He says, alas, for it was borrowed. No. And then Elisha's like, all right, just throw a stick in there. And then it just rises to the top. And then this floating axe head happens. And it's a miracle because this axe head floats. Awesome. I always looked at that. I was like, what is the significance of this? Like, is there a deep meaning about, like, steel axing whatever? I don't know. But then I realized this is a story about how God is concerned about our smallest concerns as well as our big concerns. Yes, he's healing the people that need healing, but he's also doing the little things that we, we consider insignificant. Bring all of your worries to the Lord. And by being mindful of God, that will guard our hearts and guard our minds from anxiety, giving us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Next week, we're going to learn about being peaceful and peaceable so that right living brings us to the peace that surpasses under all understanding as well. Let's close out.